helicopter crash survivalist and longtime Indianapolis 500 legacy. Paul Page, if you could describe your dinner with racers that we just had in one word, what would it be? Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Yeah, no, he's good at this. Yeah, all right. And now for Dinner with Racers, presented by Continental Tire. With your hosts, Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman. Placeholder radio. Welcome to Dinner with Racers. I'm Ryan Eversley. And I'm Sean Heckman. And we are currently driving from Indianapolis back to Atlanta, where we spent seven days getting 10 meals with notable people in motorsports. And traditionally, we would do a 30-day trip and gather about 30 episodes together. But what we've decided to do is change it up a little bit so we can get you more content throughout the year. So we're going to do shorter trips to bring you episodes periodically. And in theory, this should stop us from killing each other? I believe it's murder. Murder, right. Yeah, okay, full, cool. complete murder. So First degree murder. Now, this episode was none other than IndyCar longtime commentator Paul Page. Paul Page. If you're a fan of IndyCar racing in the U.S., you've definitely heard Paul's voice calling multiple Indianapolis 500s. If you've been in the Speedway, you've heard him calling the race there as well. And he started out as a young man around the Speedway working under none other than Sid Collins, who was the voice of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for a while. And we were really fortunate to listen to some of the cool stories that Paul had to tell us. Now, for Ryan and I, this was sort of a unique treat because as fans of the Indianapolis 500 and IndyCar racing in general, we grew up to the sound of Paul Page as we watched. So the chance to sort of just have dinner with the legend was uh, was something we'll never get. And we heard some really, really cool stories along the way. One of the highlights was, of course, uh, hearing about uh, his take on the military documentary starring Chuck Norris, known as Delta Force. We also learned about crashing a helicopter. We learn about the magic of the uh, Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. Being a student of the sport under the uh, very well-known Sid Collins. And, of course, we learn how he wrote, directed, directed, and produced the movie Driven. And didn't get any credit for it. Also, he did not write, produce, or direct the movie Driven. But he did give us a lot of insight on how much worse that movie really was, and uh, we think you guys are going to love that. So we went to uh, the boutique city of uh, Broad Ripple, Indiana, just north of Indianapolis. This time we went to the Union Jack Pub, which is a, I think it's a local chain up there. And they are apparently known for their pizza, which we did not know until afterwards, which was a bummer. I had the Cuban sandwich. And I had the chicken sandwich. Interesting. Yes, I did. Hmm. Of course, none of this is possible without the support of our partners like Acura with my lovely Acura MDX. And of course, we couldn't have gotten there safely and efficiently without uh, the best tire in the business. Which is? Well, that's Continental Tire. Of course. That's a Continental Tire. That's a what? Continental Tire. Give me a good one, though. Come on. Oh, yeah. Continental Tire. Continental Tire. Continental Tire. Continental Tire. Continental Tire. Continental Tire. Paul Page. Meow. Four, three, two. How long do you normally do this? 
I mean, what so traditionally, the first year we did a like a 24-day road trip yeah. mm-hmm. because it, it did in the off season. As soon as the season ended, we kind of ran around the country and, and got a lot of people. And then uh, we and we didn't know if anybody listened to it or if it'd be successful or what. It was kind of like, oh, if mm-hmm. it's good, it's good. If not, we tried, and uh, it, it was really well received. And Great. so then we did season two, which I think was 28 days yeah. across the country. And again, and that's like you know non-stop or every day it's like yeah. okay like we would finish this dinner and we would drive as far as we could to the next <laughs> town or yeah. whatever and uh it sounds like my early days when i was a formula ford guy right yeah yeah, cause <laughs> yeah we heard from paul fanner that you guys kind of did the same yeah. thing back in the day we, yeah. were, we he, had, he actually had exactly the same car i had an okay. eldon mark 10 yeah did yeah. he have uh did you have mike cole help coach you as well no yeah i guess he had mike cole coach him in the famous one line well mike um I know Mike from when he was building ADFs. Okay. Oh, cool. Um, because I one year got to drive an ADF at Road America, and it was like the super trick double throwdown Formula Ford of all time. Right. Inboard brakes, and I mean, just it was, it was awesome. Yeah. And it was slick, but uh, I and I was driving that, and maybe you want to wait for later to talk. Are we? Oh, we're going. We're going. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll take that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, I'd, I'd uh, borrowed this uh, ADF because I really wanted to drive one, and I like my, my Eldon Mark 10. But in um, Road America at that time, the Formula Ford field would be like 80 cars. Okay. Right. And so so big, in fact, that if we were like a mid-pack or maybe even not quite mid-pack, You'd be kind of down the hill. You've obviously yep. driven it. Yes. Uh, you'd be down the hill, and there was a bridge over. And what we would do, since the rule was green to the front row, was green to the field, we'd get somebody up on the bridge because we didn't have radio. Oh, right, to kind of relay the yeah, yeah, waving this little orange disc yeah. to let us know. <laughs> and I was alongside B.J. Swanson, who was one hell of a driver, and unfortunately was killed in the Formula Five Thousand wow. car at Mid Ohio. Um, but he was. He was incredible. And he darted out to the left, and so I just darted with him, and we went flying past all these guys who didn't realize it was green Right, yet. right. Uh, but it also kind of created for a bottleneck down yep, the turn sure, one. Yep. Well, <laughs> so race rolls on, and he's way up ahead of me. And suddenly I come around a corner, and he is sitting off the corner against the guardrail, um, pulling pieces off his car which i think was a lola yeah and pulling them off and about three laps later here he came (laughs) now i'm in the double throwdown trickest car in the history of the planet right right. and he's basically in a go-kart yeah Yeah. i mean he's got no fiberglass (laughs) on the damn thing at all (laughs) zoom on past you on it (laughs) one of the many things that convinced me i was not a race sure sure (laughs) So I guess taking it back to the beginnings, you were born in Evansville, Indiana. I am. And you were an Army brat. I was, yeah. yeah. I, uh, and uh, we heard the phrase mill brat. Is that, was yeah, that, is that, an, is that a common we're phrase? I never heard that. Yeah, that's, that's uh, it, it, I don't know how it became that, but yeah. it we, became that. So we that's might, who we are. We might steal brats. that phrase from you because we have a running joke on the show about going back to the mill as in, like, you know, a cotton uh, mill or something, because cool. Dale, Ralph Earnhardt used to threaten Dale with that. If you uh-huh. don't start winning, you're going back to the mill. Our fans thought that was hilarious. Right. Now we could call them mill brats. Mill brats, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, okay. so you can call me that outright. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, um, um, shortly after I was born, 
my father passed away, um, so I never really knew him. Okay. And uh, my mom, we moved to Indianapolis and lived with a great uncle who happened to be an American League baseball umpire. Oh, wow. And one of the senior guys, I mean, he umpired when Ruth and all oh, those wow. guys yeah, were yeah. Okay. He actually retired in 46, so he, like, had four World Series yeah. and three All-Star games. But he, he was my, my father figure and raised me during the early years. And then Mom apparently liked uniforms and married an Army officer sure. this time yeah. rather than a Navy officer. <laughs> and uh, right away we're off to Stuttgart, Germany. Yeah. And so um, we lived in occupied housing, not wow. on the base. Yeah. But right, right. And I, so here I am in like the, you know, Mercedes and Porsche and all that. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm eight years old. Yeah. Right, right, right. I still right, kind right. of figured it out, except somebody took me to a Formula One race at the Nürburgring. Very cool. And I'm like, oh, this yeah. is it. This yeah. is it forever. Yeah. And um, so then I got kind of interested in where they were building the stuff, though mostly it was a drive-by on the street and wave at it because they, they didn't really yeah. have a system where they let fans tour on it. Right, yeah. right. And um, so when, I, when we came back to the United States, which was in 54, um, we came back here for a while and... Uh, then we started bouncing everywhere. Right. Uh, we came back here because uh, my dad got assigned to Korea for a short while, and then to Fort Belvoir, Virginia, for on and on and Over, on. Over, yeah. Uh, and I guess the whole point of this this menagerie that I'm I'm running <laughs> through here is that um, 12 years of school. I went to 12 different oh, wow. different schools. Yeah. Oh wow. And when I'm like 15. My family, we're living now at Fort Sheridan, Illinois, which is Highland Park on the North Shore of Chicago, uh, tells me that my family here, my, my great uncle, wants me to come down and see the Indianapolis 500. And by this point, you're already kind of a race fan. Well, just there's the trick. Okay. I'd seen Formula One. <laughs> ah, <laughs> copy. So I'm like an F1 guy, and I even said something to the effect, I don't want to see a bunch of guys turn left. Come wow. on. Oh, so oh. even then it was like that. Oh, was a Formula One yeah. snob, yeah. you know. Man, so you would, you would have been that guy on Facebook. <laughs> or, or racer forums. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just like, no. <laughs> and it's like, you're going. Right. Okay. <laughs> so um, I went and had seats. He had seats down in the first turn. And you could see right down the main straightaway and across the short chute. I mean, they're awesome seats. And I was hooked on the Indy 500 before a car even rolled a wheel. Oh, yeah. Just okay. the pomp Excitement. circumstance yeah, yeah, and yeah. the Buzz. ceremonies. And I'm like, and then that happened to be the 60, the Rathman Ward duel. Oh, which awesome. Which was back yeah. and forth in every corner in the roadsters where the guys are sitting up with a big wheel. Yeah. And yeah. you can see them fighting it. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I was hooked. And when I left there, I said, some way I'm going to be part of that. Yeah. Some way I'm going to be part of that. Yeah. And tried to see if I was a race driver at one point, hence Formula Ford. I was not a race driver. <laughs> um, I could, I, I, I was fast. I mean, I was a national licensed driver, FIA guy. Yeah. Um, but I was not, uh, not going to be a professional yeah. ever. So right. the good news was I got essentially the job I have now in 77 and didn't have weekends anyway. Sure. Didn't have race yeah. weekends. So yeah. I claim it's that. I, I retired. <laughs> That's why. Yeah. <laughs> this other job. <laughs> I got to get to work, guys. So well, uh, you served in the military as well? I'm, yes, I did. Okay. Yeah. What was your? What did you do? I was in the U.S. Army infantry guy. Uh -huh. um, joined in 65 and got out in late 70. Yeah. yeah. How, did you have to go anywhere? Or Lots of places. Yeah. Yeah. 
any fond memories of that? There are no fond memories. Yeah, actually, <laughs> actually, I'll tell you this. I've been away from it long enough that I actually think I had fun at basic training. Huh. Okay. Yeah, so okay. So it's been yeah. a while. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how do you make the transition from failed race car driver to pro commentator i believe you're doing journalism or working at well yeah, yeah i was uh well my first ambition in indianapolis was to get a job as a disc jockey okay okay and i got one as a disc jockey and like three weeks later the station went on automation uh, okay <laughs> so i'm casting around and i went up to wibc at which i had no chance because it was the number one sure. fifty thousand watt powerhouse big deal radio station and they needed somebody in the news department. Okay. This was especially important to me, though, because Sid Collins, the voice of the 500, worked there. Yeah. Uh, okay. And, and at, even at this point, you're angling. You want to you No, not, not really. Oh, okay. um, really, at that time, I just needed a job. Okay. Um, it, it was serendipitous that, that Sid was there. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, I did that job and as an on-the-street news reporter, mm-hmm. which helped me immensely in what I do now. Okay. Um, because I had to describe, you know, radio then. We were out on the street. We were popping live all the time. Right. We were covering fires and, you know, whatever. Right. Uh, and then they gave me a job in a helicopter uh, doing traffic, which was fascinating because in that day, Indianapolis didn't have any traffic. Sure. Right. My, my job was to be the straight man for the morning and afternoon drive disc jockeys. Okay. And we okay. had a ball. Yeah. I talk about I'm out on the porch. And we, we, when we take the side doors off the helicopter, the noise would change. And go, you know, what's going on up there? Right. I'm on the porch. And, so <laughs> Cars are passing Stuff by. like that. We had a good time. But um, in the midst of all this, I'm also trying my best to learn as much about auto racing. And to that end, I took a job, uh, a part-time evening job mm-hmm. with uh, George Bignotti, who had at that time Gordon Johncock yeah. and Wally Dollenbach. Right. Yeah, right. And I became the radio guy, so he started traveling me on the circuit. I was like, oh, this, nice. is, this, this is total it. heaven. Right? It. I'm yeah, in right. it now. And um, at the same time, Sid uh, started to take note of me. Mm-hmm. And I did a particular coverage. It was actually uh, when President Nixon's daughter came to the IU Med Center for an operation, and she was brought in, or he was brought in, on Air Force One. And I was the guy assigned out at the airport uh, to, you know, cover the landing and takeoff. And so I did that. And I got back to the station and Sid said, come here. And I'm thinking, oh, this is, I'm I'm screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) He said, that was really, really well done. And he talked to me a little bit about the descriptions and all that. And then then it went away. But he was always in at the end. I, I worked the late shift. So two to two to ten. So he right. was always there when I was there because he was the sports director at WIBC and would come in at six and do a lengthy mm-hmm. sportscast. And, and just to set up the context, Sid Collins, for those who who don't know, right. was Everybody the voice. Knows. Well, we have a lot of kids. We have a lot of kids. Yeah, um, he yeah. was yeah. the voice of Indianapolis Motor Speedway for right. for exactly. two three decades. Um, for twenty five years. Twenty five yeah. years. Yeah, early fifties yeah. to late seventies. Um, like he cra- he he's the guy who coined the phrase the uh, pinnacle of motorsports. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the world's greatest race course. Yep. Yeah. There you go. He did not though do the station cue. Stay tuned for the greatest spectacle in racing. That was actually done by uh, somebody in the traffic department at WIBC. They were oh, interesting. the first year they didn't have a cue. Right. Sure. And the next year, they said, oh, 
we right. need to tell the stations when we're doing right. something. Right, right, right. So they came up with that, and of course that became infamous. Right. Not sure. infamous, but... Legend has it, while working as a helicopter traffic reporter, you were in a crash? Oh, yeah, that legend's true. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was, uh, actually, it was after, I did my first Indy 500 as a pit reporter on the radio network in 1974. Right. Nice. And then I was totally mentored by Sid Collins by that time. He was preparing me to take over for him, and he was going to retire in the ensuing year. And his intent was to start start the show, introduce me, and move on. He already had me coming into the booth to do like qualifying stuff and everything and you got to understand in the context you guys do but again yep. everybody else that was by far the world's largest radio network over yeah. 13,000 stations wow global yeah. Yeah. shortwave yeah. American forces radio it was heard everywhere yeah. so um, in 1977 Sid passed away at the month beginning of the month of May and I took over doing the radio at that time right so how did you crash? Yeah, what's the... The crash, yeah. That's how, how did that I'm happen? leading up to that. I'm trying to think of a good way to... Later that year, I, yeah. you know, that's that's not a full-time job. Oh, okay. okay. So I was still doing the helicopter. I got you. And okay. uh, later that year, December 1st, 1977, you know, you, you remember <laughs> Those some dates. dates. stick with <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> uh, we were actually flying westbound and just coming up on the speedway. Right. Uh, heading for the airport. When we hear this really loud crack, yeah, and I look over at the pilot, and he kind of looks at me, and we had a photographer sitting between us who was taking still photos on this particular ride, and like we'd never heard that before. Ah, okay, we're going to the airport anyway. Right. So, <laughs> uh, typical guys. A few <laughs> seconds later, there's a second crack, and I realize we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And we're starting down, and I, you know, since I rode in the thing so long, I had a inkling of what had to be done. We had to auto rotate, and yeah. I knew that you had to keep 50 knots frontal. Okay. And I look over at the airspeed, and we're going passing through 80. Yeah. And I'm looking at the pilot now, and this is all happening, obviously. Yeah, yeah, split second. Yes. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm now checking the pilot out, and he's just he's thrashing everything, and I realize looking at him. But just beyond him, I can see the tip of the rotor blade. The rotor had stopped. Oh, so wow. now you got no auto rotation. Right. Yeah. And we hit, um, we actually, the tail rotor disintegrated in flight and ended up in the north 40 of the speedway. Jeez. Oh, wow. And the helicopter, we continued on west and crashed on the uh, football field of Speedway High School. Right. Which I maintain is the biggest touchdown that's we ever had. <laughs> Got jokes so. for the helicopter crash, and uh, yeah, and it it was pretty bad injury. Um, it about took my left foot off and everything, but right. I had a great team of doctors. Um, and but I'm I was thinking afterwards. I'm I I'm, I wasn't unconscious. I'm amnesic to the crash. Okay, but I know it's amnesic because I can remember going past a light standard. And then the next thing I I know is I'm on the ground, right. and there are parts still bouncing around. Yeah. And now I'm laying on the ground underneath the main rotor, and there is avgas. Yeah, pouring, good, yeah, good. Yeah, so it's yeah, healthy sign. Exciting moment. Yeah. <laughs> How'd the other guys fare? Uh, one, the um, the photographer had a spiral fracture, kind of a ripple fracture yeah. down his spine. Oof. Um, and the pilot had the same, and um, 
some small break to his leg. Right. I was actually, in terms of trauma, the worst injured because when I'm in the ambulance and I'm and I'm saying, you know, oh, it's hot in here. And yeah. Says, well, why is it hot? You know, you turn the temperature down. Well, it's hot because you're going into shock. Yeah, uh, right, right. Uh, okay, what am I going into shock from? Because I was also involved in emergency paramedics in that day. Okay. Yeah. And... Um, I pull back the drape and I can see my tibia. Ooh. Oh, my foot's yeah. up alongside my knee. Okay. So I'm like, yeah. oh, where yeah. are the drugs? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that also is now after I've gotten that job. Yeah. And I'm thinking in the ambulance, I really only get, get that one shot at right, it. Right, the 500. Uh, yeah. The Indy 500 does something to you. As a once-a-year thing and such a significant once-a-year thing, everyone becomes so, so important. Just like a race driver who's going through his month trying desperately not to make mistakes, to keep on schedule, to, you know, keep his brain right. And then after the race, he goes back and like, oh, man, that one corner here, if I hadn't done this or, you know. Um, That's how we are with this podcast. Same <laughs> thing is true. For me, because I know any mistake that I make in that broadcast, I can't really correct until the following year. Yeah. Um, and so doing one and knowing that I personally, there was stuff in it that I really wish I hadn't done. Sure, sure, sure. Um, Rookie mistakes. But uh, I obviously survived yeah. and I, I got my chance. You made up for it. We're done. Yeah. yeah, it worked yeah. out. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, wow. That's, yeah. So your first gig was as a pit reporter at the Speedway. So this is kind of like, was it moonlighting or just kind of two, two, two different things? When you were first working at the Speedway do, with pit Well, reporting? no. I, I, well, I started doing track reports for WIBC and then another station, because uh, I left IBC for a while, WIFE. And so I was, that got me at the Speedway okay. every day. And that's when the old garage area was there and... Um, it, was just, it was just so cool. Yeah. And I go out and get a few interviews, bring it back to the station. Um, but then when Sid brought me on board in 1974, um, the, the pits had been expanded after 73 in that terrible series of accidents. Yeah. And so he reasoned that since they were much longer, they needed another pit reporter. So I became that guy. Sure. And... Uh, that was the day when the pit wall was like 21 inches high, meaning the wall between the pit box and, and the race right. car. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. wow. And they had no pit speed limits. Yeah, right. So I'm in the north end, and guys are buzzing through there at 160 miles right, an hour. Yeah, right. And I'm thinking, i got to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that uh, for uh, 74, 75, and 76. Yeah. Wow. Do you remember the first time you met Sid? Yeah, I do, because um, I was scared to death of him. Right. Yeah. Um, I was in the hallway at, this, at the WIBC studios, and he came out from doing his sportscast, and this was in the evening, and I saw him in the hall, and he said, I'm Sid Collins, and reached his hand out, and yeah. I shook his hand, and I'm... I'm uh, <laughs> <laughs> because, and you made the point, Sid Collins, when he, he created the Indianapolis Motor Speedway right. Radio Network, which until 1986 right. was the sole live coverage of the Indy 500. Yeah, and, and we were going to ask about that, but I'll let you finish. Okay, and, but the key here is in 1952, when they really started doing it, there was no flag-to-flag -flag coverage prior right. to that. Yeah. There was 
cut-ins on Mutual. Sid put together something that truly couldn't be done because everything was being done on copper wire. I mean, we're all vacuum tubes. Yeah. Um, the network itself, no satellite, so yeah. every time you hang another station on, you got to call AT&T long lines, and they're routing. Yeah, well, this one's everything. going through Syracuse, <laughs> right. coming back to Kansas City, and that, that kind of thing. Right. And he also had to have the personnel to do it, the engineering support. And he made WIBC, where he worked the flagship, but then he went out to all the other stations and said, give me your people, announcers. And so it became a collaborative effort. And they got the race on the air, and it was astonishing. It, 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 when you look back on it, if you study the business, yeah, just the ability to network it really, yeah. I mean, it was phenomenal Incredible. that he pulled that one off. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because before that, they would do a five-minute rundown every hour yeah, of the races yeah. going on yeah. for the, for and the radio. And it was on Mutual. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, and I think Bill Slater got sick one year, and Sid got to do kind of the anchor on some of those reports. Right. And so it went on right. from there. But to your point, so pre-86, it was sort of part of... Uh, like people who live in Indianapolis, in Indianapolis are familiar even today with the, the idea of a blackout, but... Pre-1986, there, even though live television was nothing new, there was no live coverage of the Indy no, 500. No, it, it was covered in the evening by yeah, ABC. exactly. And it was sort of part of the wild world, wide world of sports packaging right, exactly. that they would do the next weekend. Um, so I, we haven't really had like a proper historian talk about the history of the 500 and that sort of thing. The fear, as I always understood it, was that live coverage would mean people wouldn't come to the race. That was their theory. Right. I okay. think it was supposed to. Well, we right. prove it otherwise. Right. right, exactly. So literally, like somebody like me growing up in San Francisco or L.A. could not watch the Indy 500 live, even right. though there were plenty of other sporting events that were. Right. So, And you were the very first... No, I, I wasn't the first live. They did their okay. first live in 86, ABC right. did. Okay. Um, and... And you were on the radio I still think, Yeah. Okay. I think Lampley did that one, and I okay. think he did 87. Okay. And ABC then called both the Speedway and me and said, we'd, we'd like you to come do our motorsports at ABC for us. And so, obviously, one, I got the Speedway's permission. Um, and then, and, they, and their answer was, we, I think we do need someone who's a little more conversant in the sport called okay. the race. In other words, so to put that into modern context, this was somebody who was maybe a, a standard kind of play-by-play play guy for all sports, but motorsports being so unique, maybe he couldn't follow it as well. Motorsports always needs a specialist really in motorsports right. to actually exactly. call it. Exactly. So um, there it was. They wanted me to come live, and I did it. And it was a fun first year in that we came in, and I worked very closely with the production staff and the producers. And we changed everything about the way the race was covered. Um, they had two complete remote units, one to cover the race and the other to call, uh, cover the pits and the brakes, the bumps to brake, right. the beauty shot things and stuff. And I'm like, why? Yeah. Because I'd had some other television experience by then. Um, because in uh, 1983, I had joined NBC, NBC Sports and NBC Sports World. So I'd been working for a network prior to that. And, I mean, everybody was receptive. We really put a team together, and it, it was a great race. It was a great day, and we won an Emmy for the best sports special. And we're like, wow, because they nobody the Emmys never recognized motorsports. Sure. I mean, it's like, it's all stick and ball. Yeah. The next year, we won it again. Same thing. 
And the, to my knowledge, the only other thing to ever do that was back-to-back World Series with the New York Yankees. Oh, right. So, That's um, awesome. But it was, it was fun and totally different to do television. Sure. Right. So, so also during this time, so early or late 80s, you kind of take over, and obviously you had a, a very creative hand. S- concurrently, there was a movie out. <laughs> uh, documentary, as we like to call it, uh, by Chuck Norris, uh, <laughs> called uh, Delta Force. Uh-huh. Was it? Was this a movie that was uh, that you were just fond of, or uh, we'll, we'll get to the whole how this applies to you? But, but wait, did, did you love the movie? Where does where does Delta Force come y- into play? You're talking the cult now. <laughs> uh, here we go. This is this is the legend of Paul Page. In 1987, <clears throat> and I think in '88. Yeah. A uh, guy named Ben Harvey was the producer who was going to produce the tease, the opening, the, the opening of the Indy 500 broadcast. And he did it totally on his own concept. Okay. And at was, he, one was he a guy that couldn't be told otherwise? No. A creative, like, no, this is my vision. Yeah, exactly. He wasn't exactly. that guy. And th- there okay. were the days when, this, you know, associate producers, yeah. directors, real producers all had a lot of power. Yeah. Um, but in that, he stuck in a little of Delta Force. Yes. And he wrote the script, so I just read his script. For those who were born in the 90s, which is possible these days, (laughs) um, Delta Force was like a... a Action army movie, yeah, kind of starring yeah. Chuck Norris. Shoot 'em up, army shoot 'em up, movies. typical yeah. Chuck like, Norris yeah, military, yeah, and like yeah. a staple. <laughs> if you watch the movies, the the cost, everything about that is a staple of the mid eighties. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. I'll let you continue. Well, I didn't know where it came from. I just liked it. Okay, and so <laughs> the next year, um, a guy named Don Olmeyer came to join us, who was my my coordinating producer at NBC. But he was an awesome auto racing director. And so he came over and directed the Indy 500. And he said, we got to come up with better teases. And right. What, what do you think we ought to do? Yeah, I said, well, I like, I like this music. I don't think I'd seen the movie. I just like the music. Uh, uh, okay. All right. right. It's kind of yeah. better. So Don's technique was to take all of the best video that he had, all the best shots that he had, and it, we have one tr- one of the tucks on site was a semi with just jammed with videotapes of Let's all say, the like historic stuff. Let's say, like, you did this all on Adobe Premiere, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was all done on one inch. One uh, crazy no. reel-to-reel, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Um, so he did that, and we did it in the trucks. On Monday before the race, he sat down in the trucks, uh, in his truck and started putting this all together. And I'd stick my head in every right. now and then. Like, Come on, and you've got up. hundreds of tapes, and you got like you're literally duplicating this frame to the next tape, and so on and yeah. so forth to yeah. make this work. Because you, you're not having Adobe yeah, uh, yeah, or anything yeah. like that. Um, you you backing up a tape, yep. finding the shot, this putting frame it in, tacking it, and then yep. you know, <sighs> and then nonlinear editing. Yeah, kind of screwed the whole world. Yeah, but so. Um, on Wednesday, he wandered into the the truck the office and he said I got it come on over and so I came over and I viewed it and he says okay write it and so I looked at oh, it interesting. You know, so he builds the b-roll package and you've right. got to come up with a copy his, over his it. argument being and I think it's perfectly valid television is a visual medium yeah. you lead with the video yeah and um, so I sat down and it was it was a day and a half of just doing nothing but that yeah. figuring that one out and then on Friday, we voiced it over. And it, it, it's funny. We <coughs> we had a little voiceover booth with, you know, that 
foam-like stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was only about three feet square. Right. Okay. And, you know, a little TV monitor to watch what you're talking about. And even one year when we didn't, we had somebody doing something in there and I had to get something done, we used Studio C, which was a car. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the acoustics are perfect in a car. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, uh, anyhow, so I wrote it and I really liked it. And Don really liked it, but we kept it secret until the production meeting on Saturday when the entire staff is in now. And so we said, here's how we're going to open. What do you think? Yeah. And everybody was like, oh, it's terrific. Right. Yeah. You know, and so next year Don comes up and said, yeah, that worked out. Let's do that again. Yeah. Nice. And to the music well, of Delta Force. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Always Delta Force. Oh, after God that. We watched it. it earlier. T- we watched a couple, a couple earlier them, on yeah. YouTube. And it's like, that was the song I... I, yeah, you know, it literally it wasn't until later movie. in life that I realized that was a movie. Because right. to me, that's yeah. always been the ABC <laughs> yeah, opener. Was, so. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, still so good. They should do one now like that yeah. as a complete throwback. You know, do an entry opener. I'm, I have been arguing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want and my license fees. Right. I, I don't know. They, you know, they're going to surprise me. I'm going to do something because this is the 54th year. Okay. okay. And the last year for ABC. Right. So I'm going to do something in the ABC telecast. Oh, oh, cool. great. That's okay. kind of ABC history yeah. stuff. You know and you're not telling us or you don't know yet. I'm sorry? You know what you're doing and you're not telling us or you don't know yet what you're going to be doing? I, uh, no, I don't know yet. Oh, okay. I don't know okay. yet. Um, they'll get this weekend done and then they'll probably start to think about it. Yeah. If it's not your voice over a Delta Force intro. Well, I, 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 re- I really appreciate mind. that. Yeah. Yeah. I do. Yeah, yeah, I'd be pretty upset. <clears throat> uh, I'd like to talk about Sid Collins mm-hmm. a little more because I think the younger generation would des- would appreciate what he meant to the Speedway but also your story with him because it was very uh, emotionally you know, built out yeah. of the whole thing. You guys are very close, it seems like. And then it ended, you know, for the reasons it did. And I didn't know the backstory on a lot of that. And if you're comfortable talking with it, yeah, I'd like I, to no, like I don't discuss mind. it. Um, though it, it is pretty sensitive. Yeah, yeah. It's, but it's still to this day, it's a little raw. But by reading some of your interviews, I was like, okay, I know this is going to be a personal thing, but I think it's an important story to tell. Um, like I say, he became a mentor. Yeah. Um, s- he was single. And he was um, a very, very dignified man Mm -hmm. and always turned out Natalie. And I mean, he he was very concerned about always being the image that he thought the voice of the 500 ought to be because he also viewed himself as a global ambassador of motorsports. Sure. So he conducted his life in that way. And um, when once he started really mentoring me, uh, we spent a lot of time together. Um, I remember one day I'd been sent out to the Soapbox Derby Hill, the Wilbur Shaw Soapbox Derby Hill, and I was supposed to you know, do a story, uh, interview the winner. So I interviewed the winner, Gal. And she was really sweet, really good, and was so excited about winning Soapbox yeah. Derby. So I did the interview, and I come back, and I walk into the station, and Sid's literally standing in the hallway, you know, arms crossed, looking at me, and says, that is the worst interview I've ever heard (laughs) and then he proceeded to take it apart yeah and then build me back all right here's how you do an interview and I mean it was a postgraduate degree all the way through and what you had to understand with Sid while he loved motorsports and everything he was a total student if well really a doctorate right in how broadcasting radio broadcasting should be done and because of that, he was able to bring all that to this great network. 
and was able to bring me along with it. So we became extraordinarily close friends. Close friends. We were more often than not having dinner together. Um, and then Sid started having problems walking yeah. in uh, 1975, really. And he was treated at that time as if it was an orthopedic issue. But I kind of knew something, again, the, the paramedic connection. I knew all the docs. Yeah. And it, it, it wasn't orthopedic. But apparently, not apparently, absolutely, the docs that's treating him, they don't want to tell him that he has amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, ALS. Right. And because him living alone, no family, the only girl I think he ever really cared about in his life had gone off and gotten married on him because he was hesitant. And they, so he had no real family support. Yeah. He had only the Indy 500. And that year, because he was having trouble walking, a couple of guys got together and bought a golf cart. Okay. Had Sid Collins, Voice the 500, put on it and everything. Brought it out to the track and presented it to him in a public ceremony. He was gracious, and then when they were away from everybody, he said, get that thing out of here. I don't ever want to see it again. Because he didn't want people to know that he had any kind of right, infirmity. Right. He would refuse <coughs> to use a cane, for example. Um, because in his mind, it would take away from sort of the dignified... The, yes, yeah, exactly, right. exactly what it would do. Yeah. Uh, in fact, in 76, in prepping one of the broadcasts, I, I, I want to say it was a qualifying broadcast, but... I went up to the booth, which was in the old control tower, and Sid was sitting there in the booth, and this is like five hours before the broadcast even being thought of. And I said, what are you doing in here? I said, I didn't want to see anybody watch me go up the stairs. Uh, So he came up five hours early just to keep that image. Well, the next year, 77, it, it kept getting worse, kept getting worse. And now... Several of us, there were like three of us that were kind of all the time involved with Sid. One guy was a guy named Ray Trotta who ran uh, Sid's restaurant, which didn't last that long, uh, and also was the manager of the Air's Tea Room, which is very famous here, so much so in Indianapolis there. It doesn't exist anymore, but there's a replica of it oh in wow. the Indiana State Museum. Oh, that's neat. Um, and his, his attorney, a guy named Henry Bradshaw, and we were like, you know, we, we don't know what to do. Yeah. Finally, we're talking to his neurologist. And was this public? I mean, did everyone in the area know? No, they, was, no. Okay. no he, one, yeah. he was hiding it. Was very it. He was hiding group. it yeah. very effectively. Yeah. And so we started talking to his, his neurologist who says, look, he's got ALS, but we're, we're scared to death to tell him. So we just got to kind of play along with this because without any support, we don't know what to do. Well, in April of that year, 77, Sid, on his own, (laughs) typical Sid, borrowed a private jet. (laughs) Oh, like you do. (laughs) Like you do. And Uh went went to the Mayo (laughs) Clinic. Well, they didn't know Sid Collins from Adam. Yeah. So they treated him like any other patient. They sat him down after all the tests. He said... You've got uh, ALS, so you probably have a year or so to live. And of course, that was, that, that was... that was And so he gets back, and he immediately starts talking about suicide. So we... To just you or...? To the three of us, okay. but, but primarily to me. Yeah, yeah. And um, nobody else still knows There's anything any about that. Any of this, right, yeah. sure. 
And so we call a psychiatrist, and we get him committed, but he signed himself right back out. This is in April. And we start talking to psychiatrists. What are we going to do? How are we going to help this guy? And he said, look, if suicides want to do it, they do it. It could be a cry for help. It could be real. But given the nature of his illness, you know, so what do we do? I mean, he's talking about putting his car in the garage and letting the engine run. He said, if they bring that up to you, just discuss that with him. If he says, I'm going to shoot myself, say, well, that... You know, it's going to be ugly. You don't want to be found ugly. That kind of thing. Right. It was just, just it was oh, these kind of weird a reverse horrible time. Yeah. It okay. was a monstrous time. Yeah. Sure, sure. So the attorney and I, he lived in an apartment on the uh, east side, and the intern- attorney and I, the attorney primarily, had convinced him that he should move to an assisted care. He could still do all of his things, but he would he would get the help that he needed. And we went over to his house. The day before the radio network first production meeting and uh, and breakfast was to happen, to pick him up. And when we got there, the door was unlocked, and we walked in, and the cane that he had been using privately was hanging on the banister. And we're like, oh, my God. So we start yelling for him. Henry runs upstairs, and he finds Sid had hung himself in his closet. It just, it was, it just, to this moment, it just still brings lumps. It's this incredible man suffering so much. And then, of course, it's going through your mind, too. Well, did, uh, did he really have to? How, how close was he? And there are some treatments. And, and, but the end result of that is the one thing he had done a number of weeks before, we started talking to the radio network about should anything happen, and he kind of couched it, should I not be able to get up to the booth or something, Paul's the understudy and, and has been for a couple of years. So the next morning, I have to go to this breakfast production meeting. And I mean, like 12 hours later. Yeah, yeah. I'm the guy. Yeah. Okay. And we launch right into coverage. I mean, it was 1st of May. Yeah, right. Yeah. A month. Right. So... It was a horrible time. Yeah. yeah. And we lost an incredible human being in doing it. And he left behind a tape that he, he wanted. He did. Le- he gave it to me, and he said, I want you to play this on the air on the pre-race. And I listened to it. First of all, it was 27 minutes long, so I was never <laughs> going to get on. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it was a chronology of everything that happened to him. Okay. And so this was sort of his equivalent of a note. Yeah, and it's a justification that okay. what he did was not inappropriate. Obviously, we didn't play. Sure, it. sure. Um, in fact, I turned it over to the, t- the coroner uh, just as part of their investigation. Yeah, sure. Um, Did you I, listen to the I whole have thing? it now, and yeah. it's never going to see the light of day. I, I, I won't destroy it. Maybe another generation or so. Maybe that ought to come out. Yeah. But it's pretty sad. Yeah, I, I read something that you basically, to anybody that would question his strength or courage, you argued that like there's no questioning his. His no. strength and courage. No, absolutely yeah. not. And the post-mortem examination told us that he would have been dead within three months. Gee, so way yeah, worse. So, than so was, it was wasn't a year along. or two. So thing. the pain he yeah. must have been going through right. would have been oh, off the would have been horrible. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been just horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We talked a bit about this with uh, Hurley Haywood and, and the loss of his friend Peter Gregg. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, the thing that Hurley always struggled with was 
the warning signs and what should he have noticed or should in your case it, there weren't warning signs i mean he flat out said that this yeah. he's been given it um i mean at a certain point you can't do anything it's right. going to happen exactly. or it's not so clearly I what the psychiatrist said yeah if they're going to do it and they yeah. mean it they're going to do it right and you're not and the other thing was interesting in a maudlin kind of way was he talked to us about all these different methods of suicide the way he killed himself he had never discussed I mean, he literally hung himself from the bar in his closet. He had to kneel down to do that. Uh, right. So in your tip for you, there's never been any what ifs or should I have. I mean, it's, it seems no. like it's pretty No, yeah. well, I, we, we did it as best we could. Sure. We tried to save him. He was not going to save yeah, himself. Understood. How are you, how are you in, with your stepdad relationship-wise? Uh, my, he's he's passed away. No, right. no as, a, as a child, I mean. What I'm getting at is that uh, obviously Sid was a mentor, and the age difference was enough that he could have been helpful as like a well, my my stepdad never really took a very big interest in me. Okay, uh, I was kind of the baggage that came along, which was okay with me. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's a fact of life. Right. But in coming back to Indianapolis, uh, that uncle, the umpire I talked to, actually my great uncle, was a tremendous influence on me, and. They'd made an arrangement since I'd essentially bonded with him when I was like two uh, that I could come back to Indianapolis in the summers and stay here for the summer. Uh, a couple of years that didn't work out, but um, he, that was my father figure. And then as I'm becoming an adult, Sid became that figure. Right, Absolutely. There's right. no, no question about that. Yeah. So you go to the first uh, Indianapolis that you call yourself and it's a big, it's a big weekend. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. A, a lot of historic things happen. That's yeah, yeah. Janet Guthrie coming in there and yeah. my drinking buddy. Yeah, yeah. We had Janet <laughs> we had on a couple years two ago. years ago. Two years ago. Or up in yeah. Aspen. Yeah, I went to Aspen. Yeah. Oh, nice yeah. work. Yeah, yeah. 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 she yeah. was we awesome. like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She was special. That that weekend was a big deal. It was her debut. They changed the command from gentlemen to drivers. And that was the greatest mystery. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what was Tony Holman going to say other than gentlemen start your engines? And there was a big argument. Well, you know how tradition is at the Indy 500. Oh, yeah, I mean, for sure. You change one little thing. Sure. 4,000 of us go crazy. Yeah, right. I mean, when right. they put the, the starting stand up, yeah, right. I was like, yeah. what's wrong with standing on a track and waving? <laughs> well, that's, he's going to get killed someday. He's going to die. Yeah, but. But that's tradition. <laughs> that's tradition. <Yeah>. Tradition. <laughs> so, um, the... Sid arranged for a, a guy, an announcer on the on the crew, to help Mr. Holman every year prepare for that. Okay. And they'd come in our office, which was under the old Tower Terrace, and the two of them would go back in there. The, the announcer's name was Luke Walton. And they'd go back and they would practice. Now, part of the practice was he never wanted to say it the same way twice. For his own Would sake or to keep the crew for, on edge? For history, for okay. tradition. Yeah. Cool. Right, right. Okay. Um, so what they were really practicing, they had three-by-five cards, and they would write, gentlemen, start your engines on with different emphasis, and they'd practice all these differences. they finally come to one. I mean, it was a lengthy process. Yeah. Oh, okay. And you'd be outside there, and you'd hear them, and they're, gentlemen, start your engine. I don't know. Yeah, you don't like that. No good. Gentlemen, start <laughs> your <laughs> engines. You're like an optometrist A or well, B. When we yeah. got down to the Janet part, nothing there. We yeah. couldn't find them at all. Interesting. And so he finally stepped up with no one having a clue what he's going to say other than Luke. 
Uh, and he said, in company with the first lady to drive in the Indianapolis 500, gentlemen, start your engines. Oh, so he oh, kept okay. that yeah, phrasing together. Right, okay. right. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> that was, uh, I think that was AJ Foyt's fourth win. 77. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was a yeah. huge day. So big, you know, big day. I had a lot of stories. There was, you yeah. know, he, AJ, and John Cock were fighting the whole race. Mm-hmm. And uh, John Cock came flying off of four, and the uh, crankshaft broke. Yeah. And took him out. They would have been contenders right to the finish. Yeah. But yeah. Once, once that happened, it was pretty much AJ's day. But still, yeah. and suddenly realized this is history. Yeah, right. In yeah. fact, I first couple of times I said it, I, I, I kind of stumbled. I couldn't figure out how to say fourth Indy 500. Yeah. <laughs> smoothly. <laughs> right, yeah. right, 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 right. It's not a common phrase. <laughs> yeah. Are you a drinking man at all? I'm the uh, the chair of a, uh, a guild. Uh, that is called Men of the Malt. Oh, oh wow. Okay. And, uh, okay. and you're not drinking. There are 18 of us um, because there are 18 drinks in a scotch bottle, <laughs> which also explains why golf courses are 18 holes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. There we <laughs> go. So um, we, what we do is we all get together and pick some ridiculously expensive scotch, <laughs> and then we all chip in and buy it. Nice. And we're all getting one, one shot. Yeah. And it's just a, a nice evening. We do it about four times a year, but it's nice. really quite enjoyable. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so uh, I was looking through your Twitter account and uh, doing a little stalking <laughs> on it. He starts <laughs> laughing. Uh, well, I, of course, the timeline equals out, but I wouldn't have thought about it if I didn't see the photo. You got to interview Jimmy Clark. Yeah. Um, this was when I was doing radio stations. Yeah. In fact, I didn't even have a credential that would get me in the pits. Uh, in fact, if you look at the picture, I had a pin-on name tag credential. Uh-huh. Right. I didn't have one of the badges. Um, but obviously, I'm an enormous hero of his. Yeah. And I took a shot, and he was extremely cordial. Yeah. It was really great. We just stood there, and we talked, and we talked. And a photographer saw it and took the picture and handed it to me later. And that was very early in the month, so... We were out at Raceway Park on a on a demonstration. I forget who was putting it on, the two-and-a-half-mile road mm-hmm. course that's west of the Speedway. And Jimmy was there to drive one of the cars and take media around. And one, I had the picture, and two, I got the ride. So if you look very carefully at it, you'll see an autograph. Yeah, I saw in that. The corner yeah, of yeah. It. And I've, I showed that to Frank Keaty when he won. And he was like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. tried to buy it off you probably. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we talked to him. He, he was telling us he has oil. He mm-hmm. has like a bag of oil from Jim Clark's. Does he really? Cars. He really? I believe yeah. that. Yeah. And yeah. I think he said. We sold like 400, 400 gallons of that. That's <laughs> <right>. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, that's a good racket. <laughs> In your history of the, of the 500, is there a character that stands out as somebody that you like, couldn't believe you, you got to meet him and he lived up to the hype? Somebody that you're like, you wouldn't have believed. Like, well, if like you use the name character, yeah. then that's Bobby Unzer. Oh, yeah. All right, finally. Yes. It's starting uh, now. Here we go. Who, okay. call, who I call Uncle Bobby, and right. he calls me father. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that started when he was driving, and then I recommended him to be a color analyst. And uh, so we work both radio and television together, and... <laughs> That, that boy's a piece of work. <laughs> I'll just gi- I'll give you a quick example. There are a million of these examples. We, we right? have we have a few. Yeah. This <laughs> uh, multiple what thirteen time winner of the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. Yeah. Is afraid of heights. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> okay. 
And so one year at Long Beach, knowing that and wanting to torment Bobby at every possibility, yeah. <laughs> we, we, our booth was actually a scissors lift oh, uh, right. across okay, the road from the uh, pit entrance. Yeah. They, never, they finally got proper broadcast booths yeah. when we were going a little later on. When we went more live, we were taping the Long Beach for a couple of years. Um, tape delay, but still. So it was a 75-foot scissors lift. And, of course, I learned how to operate <laughs> right away. <laughs> and it's time to go in the air. Yeah. And get up in it, you know, and yeah. up you go. Hit it, and then he's like, oh, Father, Father, we're good. We're good here. We're like eight feet off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's not good enough, Bobby. And I keep cranking it, and I got it up to its full 75 feet yes. because there were also cables yeah. that supported it up there. Okay. Right. And he is in the corner, and he's Oh, Father, we can't do this. I, I can't work up here. He was just, he was so funny. And, but he got even with me because during the race, I'm, I'm leaning over the rail. I don't know if it was to torment him or if I was looking at something down the pits, but here comes Fittipaldi out of the hairpin and blows his engine. Yeah. And I get a face full of hot oil. <laughs> and Bobby said, see? Yeah, yeah. Serves you right. <laughs> but we did. I, I. The stories about Bobby go on and yeah. on and on. And what I admire most about Bobby is he is intellectually honest. That is to say, if he doesn't understand what you're explaining to him, he will pester you until he does. Right. And I just think that's cool. Yeah, he doesn't play like, oh, yeah, I, I got that. No, right. he will keep right. And, and I'm talking. Big deal people, you know, big engineers or, yeah. you know, yeah. doesn't matter. Bobby's going to find out what that's all about. Yeah. He's just, he was so intellectually curious. And he's bright. Yeah. He's very, very bright. And he's cheap. <laughs> <laughs> We've heard that. He, uh, one time when he was trying to figure out um, aerodynamics on cars, he actually used what was basically a flow bench for heads. And built little miniature wings and things and ran them through the... No, <laughs> total BS. So right. He wasn't going to get anything out, out yeah. of it at all. Right. <laughs> there he was. <laughs> Trying. Yeah. Now, you mentioned with, with Janet, there's, you know, during the month of May, a lot of these guys would have uh, kind of little apartment setups. Mm -hmm. We've heard that Bobby was infamous for having fun in those apartments. Do you have any uh, recollection of that stuff? Bobby didn't have an apartment. Oh. Yeah, okay. that's actually... Yeah. I, think, I think that's part of the, the rub. So he was like, did I get out of it? No. The story was it Robin Miller that told us that? Robin, yeah. yeah, Robin Miller told us a story about how he would go up to ladies in the grocery store with a frozen turkey and claim he didn't have an oven in his okay, in his based hotel room. On that, based on your head sinking, that's true. And he needed to cook the turkey. He stayed in a Howard Johnson's out, I think, on High School Road. Yeah. And uh, the place in his early day for parties was the Holiday Inn, which was across the street. It's destroyed years ago. And before that, down just east of the Speedway, east of the underpass, on the south side of 16th Street is this white brick, exactly cinder block building that was at the time the White Front Bar and Grill. And that was the hangout for all the... And, and these now are... I, I'm talking... We're in, we're in the 60s now. And, you know, that was when... Sex was safe and racing was dangerous, <laughs> right, <laughs> kind right, of thing. Right. Um, and he had a reputation. There was going to be a fight there every night. He had a reputation for being able to whip his belt off and wrap it and smack somebody like in like 
two and a half seconds. Sure. <laughs> and he he had a great, you know, one of those southwestern giant buckles yeah. with turquoise inlay that said under yeah, yeah. and stuff on it. And you, you could end up with his name on the yeah. side of your face if you did it wrong. <laughs> Of those of those days of those parties, was Unser the the guy that was the last one standing at the end of the night, or who was the unsung hero of, of indie parties? Well, being the dignified man I am, uh, I would certainly not. But rumors, I had understood as a reporter, Correct. attending as right, a reporter, right. yes. observation, just working. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He could he could hold his own. What was even more interesting to me was he would arrive at the track the next day, and it was the old track hospital and uh, he would have him run a, uh, a, a liter of lactated ringers IV to bring his <laughs> moisture back or normal saline I think right. okay. normal saline yeah. and get a vitamin B12 shot and sit there on oxygen for like 45 <laughs> minutes and then he'd go run 200 mile an hour laps be the fastest guy out there right <laughs> I don't think he could pull that off today <laughs> <laughs> it's one way to race. In television one year, uh, Bobby had trouble with his on-camera opens. He couldn't, he didn't want to memorize them. He, you know, wrote them and he tried reading cards. And Bobby, one, it doesn't look good. And two, the problem with this is this is live television and something could change right in the middle of what you're saying and you'd be caught. You wouldn't be able to, to move on it. Oh, I got to have it. So he came up with a system of taking manila file folders and taping several of them together and writing his open on that like a cue card. And he had the stage manager stand alongside the camera and hold the card up. And so it still ends up with Bobby like, I'm still looking at the camera, camera. Bobby's camera. looking yeah, over yeah, here yeah. to the left. Yeah. But um, I wanted to break him of that, and I just I couldn't. He wouldn't stop, and he wouldn't stop. One day we're at Michigan, and we did the on-cameras up on the roof of the grandstand, main grandstand at Michigan, which is way up there. And Bobby didn't like that. So we stayed back away from the edge the whole time, but we had, you know, the Irish Hills as our backdrop and everything. So I worked it out with the stage manager, and we're standing on the roof getting ready to go, and Bobby never paid attention to anything (laughs) they were saying in his earphones. And so all of a sudden I said, come on, Bobby, Bobby, we're on. Come on, get up here, get up here. And... He gets alongside me, and I start out, and, you know, hi, Paul Page, you know, we're here, da-da-da-da-da, and Bobby Unser, you know, what do you think about this day? And he starts reading the cue cards. And on this prearrangement with a stage manager, we weren't on the air. Yeah. He let go of the cue cards, and the wind came across the top oh, of that. Oh, and off they go. Poof. And Bobby's like, <laughs> and he <laughs> totally <laughs> locks up. Right. Yeah. You know, so I turn around and say, see? Yeah. <laughs> right. He never did it after that. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not foolproof. So if, Bo- if Bobby Unser might have been the, let's say, yeah, the I, lower. I answered that based on your inquiry as a character. Sure. Yes. Sure. He was also one hell of a racing career. Oh, no question there. But in terms of commentators, if he was, let's say, the lower end of the driver slash commentator, who would be the best driver commentator you got to work with? Tom Sneva was scary. <laughs> Okay, no, no. Come well, on. At, <laughs> let's, during let's. a qualifying, he was talking about Gary Bentonhausen, and he ended up on live television with the phrase, Gary knows where to get a good lap dance anywhere in any town. <laughs> My boy. How, how do you deal with My that? boy. <laughs> do you have Tom Sneva's email? <laughs> Can we reach out to him? <laughs> no, that's amazing. Uh, a lot of times uh, the, the trios, so to speak, are very common now in, in broadcast booths. Was there a favorite? I'm sure you've enjoyed all of them, but is there a favorite trio? Well, the fun team was, yeah. of course, Bobby and Sam Posey. That's, in our that was, that's, that's you what you're going known, for that. That's I know. The staple. That's, I yeah, knew yeah. that's where you were going. Um, 
that was fun. Um, what people, they, you know, on the air, they were constantly in conflict with one another. Right, yeah. <laughs> Privately, they were great. One right. time, it's a 14-hour flight from L.A. to Sydney, Australia. Yeah. And Bobby and Sam are sitting together, and I go to sleep, and when I wake up, they're still talking. They talk no 14 kidding. straight hours together. Yeah. They, they're, they're buddies. Um, but, of course, a whole different approach out of two of them when you got on the air. Yeah. So what would happen is Sam would make a statement. And Bobby would say, well, Sam, it's not exactly correct. And he'd start talking. Oh, and he'd I remember going, this, yeah. And he would eventually, in most cases, wind his way around. So he actually said what Sam said, but now he'd said <laughs> but it. it's so my it's idea. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then one year with Sam, Sam had the same issue. He would, he's he's pretty intellectual guy and right. a great writer, awesome right. writer. Uh, so he would write cards out with things that he wanted to discuss and he'd write them as little stories and the end result of that was he often was looking there and not up at the monitor or at the race and so sometimes i'd take him unawares by you know by accident i realized he had his head down somewhere else so one year with him he walks into the booth and he probably had a three inch size stack of cards and we're getting close to on the air and everything, and we've <coughs> done the on-cameras. We're in a break, and I reach over, and I pick that stack up, and I throw it across the room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Sam, Sam gave me a good look, but he also gave me the greatest show of, that of he was his on. life. Yeah, yeah. Right. He knew all the stuff in there. He didn't need that. By reading it, he just he stymied himself reading it. Yeah. And, and, but he knew what was there, so off he went. Well, I was going to say, is you say he was a great writer, which I would agree with, but it, 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 it was almost funny for, for a lot of us at, at home because he'd be so caught up in the metaphor or the prose of what he was saying. Mm-hmm. That at some point, like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, what, did, did you guys give him grief in the booth for that? Did we want? Did you ever give him grief? For did Sam grief? Okay, I guess. That would, that would be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> of course we did. <laughs> and he, he took it. Sam, he's, he's a great guy. He yeah. took it well. Yeah. He took it very well. <laughs> he took yeah. it well. <laughs> Agreed. Somebody that's definitely on our radar that we'd love to have on the show at some point, Bob Jenkins. Mm-hmm. When I was working at WIBC, he worked news at a station called WIRE, who no longer exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were both on the night shift. So we'd get bored and we'd call each other because we were both race fans. We were talking to each other all the time. And we were totally unethical because <laughs> if I'd run out and get a story, which I, w- I could do, I could leave the station and go get a story. Okay, yeah. I put it on the air once for me, and I didn't call bombs. And then <laughs> hey. Here's a little info. Right, so. Right. so we were always buddies. And in 1979, I got a call from a bunch of guys who had left NBC. I was working at NBC. And they said, you're a pretty good producer, and we'd like you to produce some stuff for us. I said, what are you talking about? He says, well, we're all working for ESPN. It wasn't on the air yet, and to tell you the truth, I didn't know who they were. Right. Yeah, the idea of it all. So, sports. but yeah, this uh, in a week we're gonna shoot the race at Eldora Sprint Cars, and we're gonna send you a truck from the Christian Broadcasting Network, and uh, which limited conversation in the truck to some degree, um, and he s- they said buyer, you also need to hire the announcers. So I hired Bob and. At first, he had no idea what was going on. Right. I, I knew he could do it, but he yeah, had no idea. And at one point, to show you my tremendous broadcast acumen, he says, um, ESPN, what are we talking about? What, what are we doing here? 
and I think the fee was like 750 bucks or something. I yeah. said, Bob, ESPN is going to be a 24-hour sports network. It's not going to last. Just take the money. <laughs> <laughs> How'd I do? Yeah, right. right. Yeah, you, you nailed that one. Yeah. So what is the prep work like to cover the Nathan's hot dog eating contest? What? I, I don't know who does that. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Oh, that's all we heard. <laughs> According to the very reliable Wikipedia. And YouTube. And YouTube. <laughs> and the Nathan's hot dog website. Right. Um, what to, so tell us about the Nathan's hot dog. First off, how do you get that? How do you get that? Where's that phone call come well, from? Well, you know, you had to audition. There's quite a list of guys wanted it. <laughs> and you were fourth, and they said, "I get a call from uh, uh, my management, my senior management, VSPN, and they said, we got an event. It's the hot dog eating contest, <laughs> and I, I had a reputation. It's, it's why I got so much international travel for making light of stuff and." and turning it into fun. Yeah. Uh, when I was with NBC, I like did the Rubik's Cube World Championship in Budapest and wow, sumo wrestling. Okay, we're okay. going back to that. Yeah. The yeah. one that never made it on the air was the Arcata to Ferndale Kinetic Sculpture Race. <laughs> and it's up in Humboldt County, California. And wow. it's right. Some you know <laughs> California <laughs> that I even remember it is. I can't believe it. Um, so I called and he said this, you know, we're going to do this event there. Nathan's people are buying into it. They want to do it. I said, okay, it'll be fun. <laughs> Plus, it got me into New York. Yep. And <coughs> a live event, um, generally speaking, as you go in, let's say it's a Sunday event, you travel on Thursday, and you have production meeting on Friday and on Saturday, and then on Sunday you do the event. Well, one the big, one of the good things was it was a live event, so we didn't have to go back and do voiceover later. So, And it was an hour. And... So I went, and it was really, it was really funny. I got two Broadway plays in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, vacation was great. So this is somewhere but, between um, broadcasting and vacation. They were the people were really nice. The, the thing was actually thought up by a bunch of guys who, two guys, two brothers, George and Rick Shea, who were trying to develop Coney Island into something better than a, the dump that it was, and um, they thought to call attention to Coney Island with this contest. And it was, it was more fun. <laughs> you couldn't prepare for it. I mean, no. the names, I you know, knew their names, stats. Yeah. What else stats. are you going to do? <laughs> like, you're not doing oh, like no, the you have their stats. This, is, this yeah. guy four times was the jalapeno eating champion. <laughs> right, so you got to know that. Yeah. But you're, not oh, doing yeah. like the, you're not doing like the Friday pit walk where you're going from stall to stall to yeah. learn these guys. Okay. <laughs> like anything new this weekend? Yeah, yeah. How's the yeah, setup? Yeah. I got so diabetes. <laughs> we did one, and it got a great rating. Okay. So they said, you know. So now you're stuck with Let's keep this. that up. Okay. And I think we, I think I just did my 15th year. Oh, year. bless I'm you. not sure about that, but I think it was that. That's amazing. Okay. And it's, uh, what's really amazing about it is its rating is through the ceiling. Yeah. Really? It outrates Wimbledon. It what? I mean, yes. Yeah. America. In fact, at one point, Wimbledon was so angry when they were renegotiating a contract that they made us not do it live. Because it was in the middle of Wimbledon, right? And we had to tape it as live and do it later in the day, so we didn't so interrupt the interrupt the precious. Yeah, so. You know what I'm thinking? Here we and, go. And we'll definitely bring you in on this with us, Paul. Is that it is a contest that is who can eat the fastest, which is a race. Yep. Yeah. And they're eating. So they're racers. Ooh. So we need to interview. One of these guys yeah. or girls that wins yeah. the hot dog eating contest. They will break our budget. Absolutely. But 
We'll take yeah. them to burgers. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, but if their ratings are that good. Yeah. Yeah. We there's an the audience. Over. The very first year in doing that, though, it was kind of fun because when they started the event, they said, gentlemen, because I was there. Yeah, yeah. Gentlemen, start your enzymes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let you get a couple bites in. But um, I'm not even being funny here. What... What do they do to prepare? Because I've heard there's all kinds of elaborate oh, the, like the, ways to eat to stretch your stomach out and, and chewing gum to strengthen your jaw. And all of those things. They'd so like get five pieces of gum and chew it. Right. right. The big thing they have to do is the gag reflex is voluntary. Okay. You can overcome it. <laughs> you have to train yourself to overcome it. So they do that. And how and do they do they that? And then they have all these, th- these crazy little methods of supposedly eating it. Asking oh. for a friend. How do you? How do you? Um, how do you stop? How do you stop? The this gag is my reflect? career. You're laughing at here. Laughing <laughs> Trying to figure out how to be a professional here. Um, oh my god! How you're do talking you? about a hot dog contest, right. and you're trying to be a pro. I'm just yeah. trying to eat a sandwich. <laughs> how, how does one just like subside the the, the gag reflex? <laughs> Please enlighten Sean. Decide. How, how does it like? How do you, how do you prevent the gag reflex from kicking in? Oh, I have no idea. Oh, okay. Yeah. Don't yeah, want to yeah, know. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. Not my I know that one year, when I think the record was like seventy-two dogs and buns, <laughs> the um, sports science people decided to do something. Right. Oh, it actually figured out. Okay. So they built the uh, <laughs> the mannequin, and with a, a flexible plastic stomach, of course. As you do. And yeah. they started pumping in, and this the getting bigger yeah. and bigger and bigger. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, it exploded. <laughs> <laughs> so we used the piece, but we cut Star the explosion out. <laughs> and then another year, we put the record in a big plastic bag and just let it sit there. And I'm like, oh, so gross. Oh my God. I don't. I don't actually. I don't watch the monitor. I just watch the dog count. <laughs> I'll look up occasionally. Trade secrets. <laughs> no, that's a cold water. It's a fun helps. event, and they are really nice people. I believe it. Yeah, really nice people. And rumor has it your lovely life wife went once, or was forced, and, and never again. That's true. Okay, because I got her a VIP ticket, which lets you sit. It put her right up in the front in what they yeah. call the spray zone. Right. Huh. Right. And good. Good yeah. dinner. Didn't have to worry yeah. about that again. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> One and done. <laughs> okay, so new for this year, we're doing we're kind of something inappropriate. We're talking politics at the dinner table. Okay. Last presidential election, who'd you vote for? Well, I mean, that was, you had to, there was a lot of things you had to consider. Sure. A lot of things you had to look at. Yeah. A lot of different ideologies mm-hmm. and personalities. Mm-hmm. And after th- really, really thinking it over, Johnny Rock Page is like, the guy, I mean, I, I think he's a relative. Possibly. So, yeah. so there you go. Okay. Uh, Johnny Rock Page. That's it. No, I, but Fair enough. You know, it's kind of between you and I. Okay, yeah. Certainly. We won't, just can't we tell won't, anybody. We won't let this out anybody at all. Right. Yeah. So 2004, your, uh, your open day, your open wheel days kind of kind of stop for a variety of reasons. Um, and two years later, you're, you find yourself in the NHRA paddock. Mm-hmm. Um, well, first of all, we need, there's a, I set a significant record in 2004. Go for it. I was on the air, live network television, ABC, for eight hours and 20 minutes for a single ongoing event that is the record for network television being on the air. 
one little group covering one another. Wow. Now you can say golf and everything. Nobody's on constant. Yeah. You were there, baby. Wow. Never yeah. wanted to race to end so bad in my life. <laughs> right. <laughs> Please. And then we didn't know it. We, you know, we're doing our off-the-air thing pretty quick because we were so over time. Yeah, yeah. And we come out of the booth and realize there's uh, evacuating the grandstands. So there's a tornado coming. This is for the 500. And so I head back for our compound where we have a traditional steak dinner after the Indy 500 every year. And along the way, here comes Gary Gerald, one of the pit guys, and we're walking back together. We go on the tent, and there's nobody there. They've evacuated. <laughs> so we go over and start looking at the steam trays, and <laughs> steaks are all here. Well. So, so we sat down in this tent with tornado warnings and had dinner. And the <laughs> only thing go. that actually drove us out of there was the water finally got up above our ankles. <laughs> oh, wow. We're going to the car. We're, we're done. Indy 500's over. <laughs> Eating steak, the tent's falling down. Yeah. That's, that's a good way to go. <laughs> but you wait, I mean, you had a whole lifetime of kind of really worse being the speedway and then the conversion to, to drag racing. I mean, if, if you don't follow it, it seems like that's a quite a bit to absorb to really sort of be an insider if you're, if you're going to host it. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much of a transition was that for you? Well, I had actually done some drag racing in the early 80s oh. um, on a thing called American Sports Cavalcade, which ran there on the Nashville is. Network. Okay. That was like my favorite show as a kid. It's on my list of questions. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, I did, along with Steve Evans, yeah. um, did a bunch of drag races. Yeah. Um, so I, and I always was a fan of drag racing. I actually, one of my first drag races was coming back to Indy from the Ontario 500, which is run on a Sunday in California, to bring an award from the Auto Racing Writers and Broadcasters Association to Big Daddy. Yeah. And um, But I'd, I'd always kind of followed it. I always yeah. thought drag racing was kind of cool. Yeah. So coming back into it was a lot of fun. And what I especially liked about drag racing is they, they don't have huge sponsors. They have great sponsors, but, you know, not mega sponsors. Yeah. They don't have to talk to an engineer for six hours after every run. Right. So it's a really open society. So much so that, like, at the end of the day, they'll drag out the barbecue grills and start doing right. hamburgers and everything. Right. A really, really great group of people. And I like I like doing those races. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. Well, and the guy I worked with, Mike Dunn, he was, he was just super. I mean, he's probably a better journalist as a former drag racing champion than he was a drag racer. I mean, he was really, really good, and he was... And you're just awesome at doing technical explanations. The other thing is, too, they remind me in a lot of ways of my early days with IndyCar, Champ Car, whatever you're talking about, and that at the end of the day, they all get together as a group. They have a good time. Yeah. yeah. Um, they all like each other for the most part. Right. Yeah, occasional fist fight, but that makes it fun. Oh, that's good TV. <laughs> right. Um, and it, it was a pleasure to get away from that intense mega sponsor we can't talk to you because we got to be in with our engineer for the next four hours. Something right. that I, I just beat my son up all the time for. But mm-hmm. It's necessary in any right. card. Yeah, you got to so. know. Yep. So you've been, you've been at the Speedway, you've been in NHRA since early 70s. A guy like Bobby Unser, we know that he's a character. Mm-hmm. That's very well documented. You spend five minutes you with Robert Miller. <laughs> um, who is the greatest character that we don't know about? 
Either because their on-screen persona is different or they're just not a guy that's that's public. Well, there there is a, a comedy trio of Herta and Kanan. Um, well, not those two. Right. Are practical jokers. Yeah. Um, and they Kanan's used pretty famous for it, but Herta not so much. Right. Well, they used to torment... Uh, Dan Weldon all the time, <laughs> all the time. And Dan, Dan was such a, a nice, straightforward human being. Um, and every chance they get, they're and racers, <laughs> as you as you know, are practical jokers. Um, anything we can do to have a little fun, oh, yeah. especially at somebody's expense, yeah, we're going to do it. Jack Aroot at the uh, Long Beach Grand Prix, the uh, celebrity race. Mm-hmm. Walked up to my car just before the start and had a raccoon's tail. And he lifted the trunk, <laughs> stuck it in, hanging out the back, and walked away. You know, like, That's really embarrassing, Jack. What are you doing? <laughs> That's cool. So let's talk about the cavalcade because that was like the coolest mm-hmm. show ever. Because it, it to me was just yeah, TNN. I mean, it was basically like everything from anything. Yeah, anything. Anything. Yeah. And, and the broadcast team was me, Brock Yates, yeah. who's like a brilliant human being, has yeah. passed away now, and Steve Evans, who's passed away. But we had more fun. Yeah. I mean, we, we covered the uh, Sportsman Park Swamp Buggy races. Exactly. That's what I was going to talk about, Swamp Buggy. Yeah, and they threw yeah. me in the sippy hole. <laughs> yeah. we, we just had fun with it. And Brock insisted that Saturday night, every Saturday night, we go to a movie. Oh, that's so oh, cool. That's yeah, so yeah. It, was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. We need to stick to that. Yeah, we should. We were supposed to do that last night. We didn't. Um, what is, uh, is it, was there an event that you guys ever had to cover on that show that you were like, I'm I'm an Emmy Award winning broadcaster, guys. Well, How do I make this sound legitimate? Well, with the Swamp Buggies, I wasn't yet. I was at, with NBC and, and Moonlighting. Yeah. Um, now the, the, some of the Swamp it, Buggies. It, just, it was... See, I, I personally believe that Steve Evans was one of the best racing announcers I'd ever met. Mm-hmm. He was awesome. He could turn phrases so well, and he understood everything, not just drag racing, because yeah. we did a lot of Formula Atlantics. We were up at Lime Rock, right, stuff right. like that. Um, and you, you got Brock there. Who? How many books has he written? How many really great books? How many mm-hmm. things has he thought up uh, and created? And so I'm, I'm sitting here with two verbal geniuses and I'm just struggling to stay with them <laughs> so I got to go to the practical joke side you know right <laughs> <laughs> not to take a dark turn but uh, I think of uh, races like Fontana uh, 1999 when Greg has his accent early on and you guys know it's bad you probably know how bad it is before it's public um, but the race continues on is there a doesn't have to be that ne- race necessarily but was there a race that you remember just sort of being particularly rough to go through well you you mentioned one of the worst yeah and that was a problem because it was an in-race fatality yeah and because like that one did you guys you know it's two-thirds into the race when they announce what what well, had happened but i don't know if you guys knew earlier that, that was that was the whole thing was monstrous yeah i'd been talking to greg in the pits that morning yeah and he crashed his scooter Right. evening before right. and had his butt all novocaned up yeah. and we're laughing about it he was a super super guy yeah. and dedicated oh, 
and God knows where his name would fit in the in the whole history of motorsports. The um, the accident, of course, happened early in the race. Buzz Calkins actually had a similar accident earlier in the race, but he didn't have the same dynamics of the accident. When I saw when I saw that accident, we have a a control panel that your headset plugs into in the booth and part of it is you adjust either side of your earphones because on one side is where the producer is going to talk to you and you have a cough button but you also have an intercom button that takes your mic off the ear and goes into the producer's ear as I see the accident I hit that button and I said no replays because there was no doubt in my mind I was looking at a fatal accident and I'd seen unfortunately a lot of them too many of them. Um, then IndyCar took, well, I guess it was car 10. Yeah. It took car. forever. And really, really pissed us off. Right. Because there, we knew it. Yeah. We knew it through observation. Yeah. And then, of course, we knew it, you know, cameramen reporting in, seeing this and that. There's Helicopter no, and all that. But yeah. from yeah. the instant he rolled and hit that wall. I knew what, what we were dealing with. And CART, for some reason, delayed it and delayed it, and they had all kinds of excuses. Uh, you know, we got to notify his family. Well, we all know Phil full well. His father was always at the track and all that. And then they, they tell us from race control, which was right next door to our booth, guy walks over and, and, and says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to throw a caution. And then we're going to lower the flags at the start line to half mass. And then we'll make the announcement. And I'm like, really? That's, that's really what you think you want to do. You want to exploit this beautiful human being's death. Well, they were going to throw the yellow and then they didn't. And then they tried to take the flags down and that didn't work. And so finally, our people just pestered him and said, look, this is real. We know this happened. You're going to have to address it. Um, so they did. But it was it was horrible. And what made it even worse for me was the banquet that was a season-ending race was the next night. And Parker and I had to alternate giving the awards out. And I had Greg. I had I had to announce that. And I, and I loved the guy. I mean, I first saw Greg Moore in Nazareth, Pennsylvania, he was nothing. He was racing small classes and everything. But I watched him stand outside the ropes at Penske Racing asking to be able to talk to Roger or someone. He stood there, I'll bet, at least seven hours. And finally, I think they just took pity on him. And then they realized how really good he was. Just, and he was fantastic. But, you know, we also had Krosnoff. And that was in Toronto. That was, And they tried to hide that one, too. In fact... They, they were going to try to make the announcement after we went off the air because they didn't want to admit to a fatality. Well, one, you look at it. Again, I mean, um, and so we kind of deliberately stayed on the air just because they were playing with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We couldn't announce it because it wasn't official, but. Is there a protocol for that at all, like in place? Because of these, you know, because of the critical well, know, nature of these races? Yeah, they, well, 
There is and there isn't. The, uh, our protocol is, as television, if you even suspect, you jump out to wide shots. And if it's really ugly, then maybe you're going to look somewhere else. Uh, the Weldon accident where they were looking at every car on the track other than his. And, again, you knew that was... Um, though they, they did something that day that really upset me. Uh, I was doing drag race. And uh, my sons kind of hit me with text letting me know what's going on. And, of course, and I have always had a monitor down on the floor by my right yeah, knee right. that I could watch the IndyCar race. Because <laughs> drag <laughs> racing, you know, wasn't constant. Yeah, there was a lot of breaks, 10 yeah. minutes. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Right, right. And um, so I knew. I knew from what I saw. I knew from what I'm being told. And... They actually have a news had a news conference to announce a news conference to announce a death. But worse yet, the network, for some reason, and the announcer who was handling it came on and said, no doubt at direction from his superiors, that well, since this is going to be all over the news, we're we're going to go run the replays and and so, okay, you're a member of that community. Is that really what you want to do? You really want to do it? Well, they did it. I was I was furious. Right. But I had no authority. Right. <laughs> right yeah, well, but so well. to to yeah. that page is over in the corner going nuts again. Right. <laughs> well, so to that end, if you were if you were in the booth in Vegas, um, if they had said we're gonna we're gonna do a bunch of replay analysis of this, would you have just we outright no. refused? Yeah. No. We um uh, we were at uh, Lauschwitz ring. Oh at, right. Yeah. At uh, Dresden. Yeah. Right after nine eleven. Yeah. In fact, it was a, it was interesting because I had traveled early, actually, to Scotland and take a little free time riding a train. And when 9-11 happened, the, um, we couldn't get most of our crew over there because the international flights were shut down. And so we got in there, and some of the meetings that IndyCar was having... Again, I guess still card at that time. Were intense. Uh, in fact, uh, at least at least one major mechanic walked out of one because again they were going to try to make a, a show at the race that Saturday, and um, we had the added misfortune of being the first live event on ESPN because they rode ABC News for the week. So you had the Zanardi accident, and. I mean, when they put him in the helicopter and pulled him back, I, I wasn't sure about that accident because of the nature of the medical activity going on around it. Um, and when I, I saw Trammell whip his belt off and make the tourniquet for his legs, um, but then Father Phil was standing out inside in front of the helicopter, blessing it, and they and they had they had put him in. They had to take him back out because he arrested. Well, when it was over, because there were replays. You know, we, we were live, we did, they actually called me and they said, we want you to cut three closes. One, that he's seriously injured and under treatment. One, that he is apparently going to be okay. And another, that he's passed away. <laughs> Absolutely not. I'm not doing it. I expected to get fired, but they didn't. Too much else going on. But that they even asked that question offended me. Again, I don't, you know, they, they don't realize these, this is your family. Yeah, yeah, you're in this community, yeah. Hmm. Uh, all right, well, let's, 
Got something Get out of fun? heavy stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, we do. <laughs> we do. <laughs> we really do. Let's do the pass along. Yeah, first. so we, we do a segment um, where uh, we, we ask every guest beforehand to ask a question of the next guest and, and pass it along. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we met yesterday with uh, none other than Mr. Uh, well, he's, he's, he's kind speaking of, of politics. He's kind um, of known. He's, con- he's a mayor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he's a mayor of a, a, a town up in Canada called Hinchtown. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think I got a traffic ticket there. That's very possible. <laughs> yeah, the, the cops there, they're, they're, they're the pretty rudest. brutal. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but he had a question for you. Yeah, his question was, uh, if you were the radio guy at the Speedway for the 500, because a lot of them have the catchphrases, uh-huh. and he's get it. What, what is it? He was Tom, using Tom Carnegie's right. example. And he's, uh, he's on, on it. it. Yeah, yeah, you do it better than I do. Yeah. Um, if you were the radio guy at the Speedway, what would your catchphrase be? I don't think I, I... I never worked on having one. I never worked on a signature. Yeah. Um, I, got, I got most of the teasing because on like every accident, I'd say, whoa! <laughs> yeah, right. Which is right. probably just your natural yeah, so response. So I think that, yeah. that, yeah. Became, that became my right. deal. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I, one, I always tried to change things up, and I always tried to end the race... You know, in a nice, dignified tone. Yeah. At the 500. Right, yeah. right. Which is what Sid did. I was just parodying Sid. Yeah, he was known for having, like, always a, a serious thought quote or, or some poetry that he would yeah. read. Do you have one that stands out as, like, your favorite one that he, that yeah, he said? Yeah, and one that I use. I did it for a couple of years, yeah. and people are saying that's hokey, and <laughs> they talked me out of it. But um, there is a quote that he used. I don't know if I can do the whole thing, but basically is it's... And he would dedicate it to the driver. And by the way, he had several things available based on who the winner was. Okay, yeah. And I think the one was, uh, if you think you're beaten, you are. If you think you dare not, you don't. If you'd like to win but think you can't, it's almost a cinch that you won't. Because out in the world we find life's battles don't go to the stronger man. And then there's a couple sentences that I can't remember, but the final line is, they go to the man who thinks he can. Okay. And I always thought that was appropriate for race drivers. Sunday, it's Sunday lunchtime. Lunch is? Uh, Sam Schmidt. Sam Schmidt, that's right. So if you could ever ask Sam Schmidt any question that maybe you could hide behind us on or you always wanted to ask him but you never had the chance to, what would it be? you want it serious or it can be it whatever can be you want anything. we've had a very yeah. large scope yeah. of questions this is a fun and game I show that sometimes gets serious I, w- I would love to know how Sam accomplished what he has and he's in a devastating accident he was a great guy we all loved him then as a driver he's in this devastating accident a lot of us are convinced that's that's it we're not going to see Sam again and yet he bullies his way back he works all of the time he's pleasant all of the time anytime I see him you come up and you pat him on the shoulder and everything he's smiling he's got something to say I want to know where he got the personal courage to do that because that to me is a remarkable human feat can't can't argue with that yeah that's a good one alright I'm sure you guys got to get out of here but we do have one probably the most important question yeah we really have to get into something that's that been a Bit of a thing for us for a yeah, while. Yeah, it's okay. it's. Uh, I know we've gotten into some dark times, um, but you were also a prominent, prominent role in a documentary uh, known as uh, Driven. 
I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and I, if you look to the credits, you will not find my name. Wait, is that true? <laughs> That's true. No <laughs> shit. Oh, I'll, I didn't I'll, I'll tell you why. Okay, yeah. yes, please. Yeah, we need all of it. They did win our next bit. <laughs> they did driven. Yeah. And the crews were with us off and on all year. Right. That was kind of fun having big movie crews around. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, they, and they shot at, I mean, almost every track, as I remember. Yeah, they yeah, did. They were, yeah. Um, and they actually taught us a new way to do, do uh, Winter Circle. Uh, I think they did it at the racetrack, the former um, horse track up in Chicago, Hawthorne. Okay. Um, where they were shooting like what was then was going to be the final big victory scene. Yeah. And so they got all these confetti cannons and stuff like that, daytime fireworks that nobody had ever used. Oh, okay. Yeah. So after that, everybody started using right. it. Right. Yeah. It looks so cool. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's funny. Driven actually gave something back. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it so did. So at Long Beach, they had a private premiere showing of Driven. Yes. It apparently, I didn't, I didn't go, but it was apparently <laughs> so horrible <laughs> <laughs> that they pulled it back to re-edit and redo. Like a sneak preview kind of thing that they did. That was a, that was that a sneak preview. Yeah, right. yeah, Normally yeah. they have those. The writers write yeah, nice right, things, right. and then they, they focus <laughs> group, they'd make a good movie. Yeah. Yeah, right. um, so when they decided to do that, I got a call, and they wanted me to come in and put some narrations into it and do voiceover. I did the voice for the handsome guys in the booth for one of them. <laughs> Natural. It was cool. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you played <But> yourself. <laughs> and and I wanted to I wanted to meet. Sly, I wanted to meet uh, yeah. Rennie Harlan, who was the director. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his wife, I think, was Gina Davis at the time, and yeah. I definitely wanted to meet her. <laughs> so we go to Hollywood, and uh, they start showing me this thing and what they've taken out, and that now they want my opinion. You know, what do you think? And they're in the room. And I'm kind of like, I'm not a consultant. Right. Yeah, right. right. That's, that's Pay me. Pay me yeah. first. Yeah. But they had such horrible things in it. Yeah. They, they had one car. First of all, they have two cars parked in front of a building at the gala starting the season and the two adversarial guys run out jump into those two cars start them with a key and go racing through well, chicago we, fully aware. we've seen that, that happen so many times but in it that they <laughs> that they took out and i was amazed at some of their abilities to do these things there was one where a car flips into a pond mm-hmm. yeah and what you saw was the tame down version Oh. Oh. That was a nuclear explosion. Oh, really? Yeah. It was <laughs> of the explosion of methanol. Yeah. Which yeah. had fire. The, the, the fire yeah, of methanol in a lake. In a lake, which yeah. they had made a of water. shot yeah. that yeah. they shot at Detroit. And this was the director getting himself into the film. They created the uh, a, a playground that was outside. Oh, yeah. Straight away. And there it, it is, is in yeah. the film. Yeah. Oh, yes. We know. And which one is he? Um. <laughs> So he drops his kid there, and then oh, there's an accident. He's wearing a suit. But the original footage had like an on-camera view of him plowing into the children. Wait, what? Yeah. Wait, no. Nope, hang, nope, hang on. Hold <laughs> on. Hang on. Hang uh, on. You just made Driven worse. Yeah. <laughs> well, also kind of better. So, wait, and so Cart kind of got, they got played in it because they couldn't do it at F1. It was too much money. Yeah, right. But cart really wanted it and thought it was going to be a cart movie sure and yeah. as you see they it thought was it was a quasi like f1 movie uh, yeah so. uh, wait back to the ch- murdering of children <laughs> <laughs> they thought that was going to be a good scene uh, apparently they thought that that's was good exciting. movie making yes cars <sighs> and the children god Dude, so we revoiced it yeah. and yeah. it debuted uh, regular 
regular theater at uh, when we were racing at Texas, um, at uh, the Texas Motor Speedway. And so all the teams went to the movie wanted to see it, you know. Yeah, and, and you were at this one. You're never sure what's going to be in or out right. when you do a movie yeah. like that. Um, so Parker and I are sitting in the back row, and the further it goes, the further down I'm sliding in my yeah. chair. Yeah, And Parker's just all over me. Because <laughs> he's not in it at all. Because he's making fun of you. Yeah, he yeah. is yeah. really all over me on it. Yeah. And guys are turning around and looking at me, and... All I want to know is when they run the credits. Right. That's Parker. See if my name's in there. See if my name. See and I can tell me now. My name wasn't in the credits. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so for Christmas that year, Parker got you know a, I think they call it a six sheet, the poster that advertises yeah, the yeah, movie yeah, they yeah. put in front of the yeah. And it's the driven official poster and everything. Yeah, right. But Parker has hired an artist who has added. Featuring the voice of Paul Page. Oh my <laughs> God, that is amazing. That is amazing. There was a fun guy. Parker was. Yeah. There, there was another documentary you were in. Um, there's, they've made, they've made a lot of documentaries over the years. There's March of the Penguins. There's, there's Ants. Yeah. Um, I once saw a documentary about a snail that made the Indianapolis 500. Yeah. Um, I swear I heard your voice in that. I didn't check the credits to see if you were in it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there you are in that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretty proud of that. I thought that was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. I thought they really respected the Speedway. Sure. What amazed me, I didn't know, when you, when you do animation, none of the characters are with each other at any time. Uh, yeah. It's not like you're all sitting around a room right. doing right. dialogue. Right. You come in one at a time. It's why animations work, because yeah. you can bring you can an actor it. in, and he works a day and a half, and he's yeah, got his part of the movie. Yeah, yeah. So I came in, and um, they had all this script laid out. They didn't send me anything in advance. And, you know, I'm, I'm at DreamWorks. <laughs> they <laughs> just finished Lincoln. cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And I'm in this giant voiceover studio um, where, because we're doing uh, Turbo, they had different signs of the scenes on easels all around. And I had this big easel platform that they put the script on. And the director sat right next to me. And they have a girl who comes in with your script on cardboard and sets it in front of you. Right. And then when you need the next one, she takes that one and puts right. the other oh. one. Right. This is Easy pretty life. cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. a little yeah. large yeah. here. <laughs> so um, it, was, it was really a lot of fun to do. And in doing, doing it, not knowing, you're, doing, you're laying these lines out. You have no idea where it's going to use and a buddy of mine um, calls me. He'd seen a preview of it. And he said, that was great, the way you opened the show. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I opened the show? You know, because yeah. it's a pretty big thing because that's yeah. the grabber moment. Yeah. For like a day's worth of work. And when I saw it, I thought, this is so neat. And yeah. they did. They were so accurate with animations. Like on one of the aerials where they swooped down toward the speedway. Uh, a buddy of mine camps in the campground uh -huh. every year at a certain place with a big camper. Sure. I can see that camper. No way. Oh, how cool. And I think there are only two major, well, not even major, mistakes in it. Do you know of any? No, of, of the snail racing in the Indianapolis 500? Well, they had no. the sun coming up in the north. Yeah, it would not. Okay, that is a Paul Page yeah. moment. I'm gonna, and they know. had pole, pole lights in the area behind the grandstands. How are you with normal movies then? Like, that couldn't happen. I'm pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm, so I'm Driven must have been really painful for you. Well, and, um, yeah. And I, I, 
one of my things is catching continuity and all that. Uh, just, right. yeah. Being a producer, I'm like, oh, I have God, that look what they just did. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I, I do have an avocation of uh, being a, a tactical shooter. In fact, I have oh, a cool. little story for you. Whoa. Okay. And um, so every time I see them go into a hold or a move, or I mean, that's I taught that stuff for a while. Okay. Oh, wow. And it's like, that is so wrong. <laughs> but NCISLA... Oh, characters okay. in there are the best trained. Oh, really? In the use they, of they handgun, so noted. Sure. Like noted. Okay. So, okay. okay. Yeah. All right. So, so Weldon, <laughs> every year for, oh, I think five or six years, it started when Nigel came. And um, I, the FBI, FBI and I had a deal where I'd take them out to an FBI range, a selection of drivers, yeah. uh, the week before the race. When we had time to do it, you can't do it anymore. And the agents would take him through and let him shoot the weapons mm-hmm. and teach him and all that. And I was part of that. And part of what I was helping with one day was the sniper. So he had a rifle down on the ground. And Tony Kanaan, he said, if I wasn't doing race driving, I'd be doing this. Ah. But Dan gets down, and we were using the standard police human silhouette target. And he looks through the scope, and he looks down and he looks through the scope again he kind of takes position and he looks through the scope again and he looks over at me and he says Paul I can't do this that to me that's a human being out there yeah I, I hope you appreciate that I said, absolutely get up and get away from the weapon you know, right I, I honor you for doing that so yeah that, wow and that was him of course he was a clothes hog too and you and you have <laughs> and you've got Tony Kanan there anybody else just the two of them? Uh, no, no. Uh, it, it was a different group every year, but it'd, it'd be like maybe a couple of Penske guys. It'd be some of the So it's a the handful of drivers. Guys. Yeah, it'd be like five. And he didn't have any sort of problem being comfortable enough as himself to say, I don't want to do this. That's right. Whereas a lot of people would go, no, i got to do yeah. this because I don't want to yeah, do no, this. No, they'd go the macho route. They exactly. all do. I mean, yeah. in fact, part of what in what I was doing then we had to do was get the testosterone out of the guys so we could train them. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So just actually pay attention. Yeah, but he was so sensitive oh, to that's that. that's amazing. Yeah. You don't know about the clothes hog, Weldon? No. Uh, I mean, well, cl- like, we know he was very kind of OCD about his wardrobe. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and this goes back to the Patrick practical jokes. Yeah. Somebody would go into his house when he wasn't looking, run into the bedroom, and mess up all the clothes. Oh, and throw the shoes yo, out. yes, good, good. <laughs> Trouble good. nuts. <laughs> I was going to say. So you mentioned Kanan. Who's the best shooter we don't know about? Oh, any, all of them. Yeah. yeah uh, Johnny O'Connell. <laughs> what? <laughs> you have no idea what you just did. <laughs> really? Yeah, so instead so of running over Dario, he could have just shot him from a distance. Shot him right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, no to. problem. Yeah. Okay, I, did, I just want to spell this out. We didn't prompt that. You said no, that all on your no, own. I said that. Yeah. I think <laughs> I, I remember a he joke. Had, yeah. for oh. one time he had Ruger as a sponsor. Yeah. Yeah. Johnny O'Connell. Okay. That, that's not going to be a running joke, folks. Yeah. Just, that, that's that's real. That that's was, a real he thing. actually said that. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> He's a good buddy of ours. I just saw He's him a good two guy. weeks ago. He's a good guy. Oh, man, that's funny. Cool. All right. So uh, you weren't in the credits for Driven, but they paid you for that? Hopefully. You well, had to get SAG. That was a story, too. Oh. <laughs> I'm a member of the Screen Actors Guild. Right. Correct. Hey, me too. Yeah, yeah, and Sean. Yeah. 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 So over are you SAG after? or uh, SAG. Yeah. 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 So um, I filled out all the contracts, signed them, they took them. And about two months later, this was I get this phone driven? call from SAG. Okay. And you know, you performed in an unauthorized film. 
Oh, no. It's like, no, I didn't know that. What film? They tell me. I said, we signed the contracts. And he said, well, did you take the copy? No. So it, it's like you're going to owe a $100,000 fine. What? The good news was the president of SAG at the time was Kent McCord. He's an enormous race fan, uh-huh. enormous oh, cool. Indy 500 fan, yeah. and we knew each other personally. Oh, wow. Okay. And so he got into it, and Driven ended up getting in all kinds of trouble with the unions. Yeah. Uh, they tried to say that uh, they were operating under Canadian union law, uh, and, right, um, but since they shot so much in the United States, yeah, that right. wasn't going to work. Fly. And um, so finally we got, I got let go for, from the fine, and I was... Exonerated. Okay. Yeah. I was saying, oh no. <laughs> right. Yeah. Is, is that why you weren't in the credits? Is it because of that? No, no. Okay. I, I think I wasn't in the credits because they didn't want to bother. You know, that that was another animation pass they'd have to make. Right. They didn't want to do it. Right. Oh, wait. <laughs> right. wait. <laughs> hold were, on. Hold on. So it wasn't you asked to be out. They literally just forgot to put you in the credits. No, I, I think they did not want to redo the existing credits. They were just patching oh, in whatever they could. So money. your voice was like eleventh hour. Let's patch this together. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Wow, so they were that bad. Okay. Yeah. And wow. you, you've got to you've got to understand so too. <laughs> I like that there's some editor like so we put this asshole in. I don't know. Like <laughs> <laughs> um, to my knowledge, that's the only movie at the time that went from theatrical to in-room hotel in a day. <laughs> 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 so. Well, on that note, we have something for you to read. Yeah. By the way, the book's coming out. Don't know when. Should we do the... Wait. What? You have a book? Oh, you have I'm book? working on a book. Oh, yeah. I've been so working cool. on it for That's years. We've sold a bunch of Janet Guthrie books. Did you? Yeah. Well, then I ought and to finish Saint, it sometime. And St. James as well. Yeah, we get people that tweet us all the time about I, that. I keep uh, thinking, well, I've almost got it done, then something happens. Right. <laughs> so it's not So it's not out. It's a work in progress. It's but there will be a book. It has Facebook. been for years. Okay. I do. I do. There's one thing I, I, I'd like you guys to know, and I, I hope through the patter you, you get the impression. I, I'm totally passionate about motorsports and especially IndyCar. It amazes me that I've been able to do what I've been able to do. And the, the, for want of a better word, the love of the fans. It's so great because they come up to you, they talk, they want to talk about events and everything. Yeah. I just, I've been so honored that fans actually would come up and care and want an autograph. And right. That's, I just, that's cool every time it happens. I just, I love the fan base of motorsports. They're loyal, they're tough, but they're great to be around. Well, they're tough because they care. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Well, our closing question is usually about legacy, but you just kind of answered it. Yeah. As far as what, what would you want to leave behind? You didn't know anything about us when you showed up. And, uh, like, it, what, you know, for people who've, Never get this opportunity to sit with you. What What is your takeaway, or what What would you hope people took away from sitting down with us? Well, I, certainly the love, yeah, um, the dedication, that it is the overused a dream come true. Yeah, um, I'm living in Chicago as a kid. They got no idea of the Indianapolis 500, but here I am. I'm subscribing to the Indianapolis Star on a monthly basis, and <laughs> so I can follow the race. Um, I never would have guessed that I'd be able to do what I did. Um, I thought maybe I'd be a... I was a parts washer. Um, I did the radios. I thought I was going to probably be a pit crew guy and had a side job in radio. And to have... to be selected out like that, to be trained to do what I'm doing. Um, And to have a... 
a nice understanding of what television is and how it really works. And it's, I just, it's, I, 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 I've been so lucky. So very, very lucky. I could have been a former Ford champion. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that funny. But you can't let it go. <laughs> oh, perfect. All right. Let's get on that note. Yeah. yeah. Continental's got the check. I'm finished. Who doesn't love Paul Page? That guy's voice. I grew up on it. That was uh, that was super cool to get to hang out with him. And new restaurant, new bar, awesome yeah. stuff. Yep. Yep. Obviously, nothing that we do is possible without great partners. Thanks again to Acura. And, of course, Continental Tire. Send them a tweet. Let them know you love us and uh, appreciate their support. And, of course, we're going to close out a song that, once again, is from a band that is undiscovered, which is code for willing to give us a license. I love these guys. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) And it's going to be Anna Volpe. That's uh, A-N-N-A-V-O-L-P-E. That's V as in Victor and P as in Paul. You can find her at annavolpe.bandcamp.com. Here's a song of hers called Never Imagine. See you.